Guys, welcome to New Life. I'm so glad you guys are here at our Carney campus. It's good to see your, your smiley faces. I want to say a big hello to everybody at, uh, on our online campus today, as well as Ogallala and North Platte. How many guys are excited to be at New Life Church to do one thing, and that is to worship Jesus? Come on, let me hear you. Let me hear you. Yeah. Right. Mm, I love that. And thank you guys so much for like, you know, overcoming what our media is filling our TV screens with and our radios with, right, with this whole coronavirus COVID-19 thing. How many of you guys even have heard of that thing? Oh, yeah, just joking. Just joking. How can you not hear about it, right? So I knew I had to address that here from the platform. As your pastor, I just want to address it this way. And I want to let you know that at New Life, we're doing some things, actually, uh, that we're going to make some suggestions to you. Just to kind of, like, be smart, okay? Just be smart. Uh, here's some smart things that we want you guys to do, okay? Maybe instead of shaking people's hands, you can, like, fist bump. Come on, practice fist bumping somebody. Just do that. Just fist bump, all right? Here's another thing. This is old school, this is old school, but I want you to make eye contact with somebody that you probably don't know that's sitting on the other side of the auditorium from you right now. Make eye contact with them and just like do this at them, just wave at them, right? You realize you can, just, you can wave at people, right? You can wave at them, and it, it, that, that's acceptable too. I also want you to find somebody else that you, haven't, that you didn't look at the last time. I want you to look at them, I want you to smile, all right, and just shake your head at them, right? Yeah, it's good to see you, it's good to see you. We're going to practice all these old school things right now while we're kind of going through this little, this little season. If you're watching this and it's a year from now, you're probably wondering, what was he talking about? Things like this, they come and then they go. And that's kind of where we are. But there's one thing that New Life Church will not do. We will not be people that panic and we will not be people that operate by fear. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us one of power, love, and a sound mind, and we're going to walk with that sound mind. We're not going to succumb to fear. Is everybody with me on that? Okay, awesome. Because I'll tell you what, listen, you start second-guessing God on this whole thing, you start letting something like this or something else start causing you to second-guess God, that's when you start putting yourself on the spiral where it starts causing you to stop trusting God. You second-guess God, you stop trusting God, then you stop being obedient to God, and then you end up in a situation where you probably don't really want to be. So here's what I want all of us to say, right? I want you to say this with me, that I have to stay confident in my mission. I have to stay confident in my mission. I want you to say that with me. Come on. I have to stay confident in my mission. One more time. I have to stay confident in my mission. That's what I want to talk to you guys today about. Every, everybody in this place, God's given you a mission He's given you an assignment to fulfill on this earth. And you have to stay confident. And when you start second-guessing it, it's when all of the wheels fall off the machine. Like you second-guess things, you make bad choices. Think, back, think with me back to school when you had the multiple-choice test. How you guys remember taking the multiple-choice test? Okay, you remember that? <coughs> I got all choked up. <coughs> it affected me, that kind of bad. Um. I don't have the virus, by the way, so guys, don't worry. <coughs> I just got a little saliva <coughs> down the wrong pipe. Sorry about that if you're online, because that was really loud in your speakers. I apologize. But one more time, <coughs> just for a sake. Okay. By the way, when you cough at New Life, this is the new way to cough. Okay. Um, I thought I would model that for you. That's what that was all about. No, you remember, like, you took them, right? You have A, B, C, D, and then you read the question. Okay, you read the question, and you, you, you thought the answer was C, 
and you start to fill in C, but then what happens to you? Right? You start thinking like, well, I don't know. Answer A looks good. And then you get the eraser out and you erased it, right? Uh, and then you went to A and you filled that in. And then only to find out later which was the right answer. That's what teachers teach us. They teach us be confident. Like if you studied, be confident. You're more likely to know the answer the first time than you are going back again. Any teachers in the house who say amen to that? Amen. All right. Okay, good. I'm just backing you up, teachers. I got you. I got you. Thank you for helping us with that. But then we didn't follow that, okay? And we went in, we got driver's licenses, and we started driving, and we're driving down the road, and we're thinking this is where we're supposed to turn, and most likely it's where we were, and we flip on our turn signal, we start slowing down, and the car decides to pull out into the lane, but that's not where you're going to go, and you're distracted by the other four people in the car. You turn off, and you speed back up, and bam, you're right into the car in front of you. See what I'm saying? Like, second guessing can cause an accident, but I'll tell you this. Second guessing will cause frustration for those who are following you when you struggle to make decisions. How do you guys know somebody who struggles to make decisions and it frustrates everyone around them? Don't nudge the person next to you right now. Right? You, you know a person like that, where they, they struggle to like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go to this restaurant. Okay, so you start driving to the Applebee's, and they're like, no, let's go to Hy-Vee. So you start driving to Hy-Vee, and then you go, no, let's go to Panera. And then finally you just go, no, let's go home. I'm taking some out of the freezer, and it's going in the microwave. <laughs> People second guess. They make a decision in a business deal, and they second guess it. You know, and people around them, they get frustrated about that. All of us have second-guessed ourselves at one point or another, right? Come on, I'm not the only one. I second-guessed myself one time driving in a large city. Frustrated me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't like this feeling of not knowing where I'm going, especially when I'm driving. And I missed my turn, and I end up on a toll road. It cost me six bucks. And you're like, big deal, big deal. It, that's right, that is a, that's like big deal. However, I do remember the time a couple of decades ago when I second-guessed God's power and his love for my life, and I know what that started to cost me. That started to cost me my family, and it started to cost me my calling. And if I would have continued down that pattern of second-guessing God, I wouldn't even be standing here in front of you today. So guys, there are minor things that we second-guess that aren't going to have that big of an impact. Six bucks, big deal, okay? Just go do it again. Just <laughs> Just don't get caught on that same loop over and over again because that'll cost you a lot of money. But there are other things that we second guess that can cost us our life. Today, I want to help you focus in on what it looks like to have confidence in the mission that God gave you and not to second guess it because every single one of you has been given an assignment by God to fulfill. And that assignment and that mission, it changes sometimes from season to season. There are other assignments and missions that God gave you that are unique just to you for the totality of your life. But let me give you some examples. A mission or an assignment that God's given you to raise your children. If you're in that season of life right now where you're raising your children to adulthood, that's a unique season. That's an assignment from God. Then you're going to get transition into my season where you're now trying to lead adult children. Okay, And that looks totally different. Or this, sticking to your major in college. That's your mission. That's your assignment if you're a college student here. Or you're going to school. You went back to school. Sticking to it and not changing when things get difficult. That's a mission. That's an assignment. you got to be confident in that. And your confidence in it helps you accomplish the mission. It could be just providing for your family or leading a business right now or managing people or just faithfully following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
Every single one of you that hear my voice today, part of the mission that God's given you is to faithfully follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And guys, I'm telling you right now, that's not the easiest thing to do. That doesn't just all automatically come natural for all of us. It's something we have to work hard at. And we, have to have, we have to grow in the confidence that God wants to lead us by the power of his Holy Spirit so we can fulfill and walk out the mission that he called us to do. But here's the truth. When you struggle... When you struggle to walk in confidence to live out the mission that God put you on this earth to accomplish, it does have a negative impact on others. You do realize that your life is uniquely intertwined with other people's lives. A spouse, children, extended family, a workplace, you know, those who work underneath you, those who work above you, okay, your neighbors, those who you go to church with, your life is not just an isolated island all by itself. And the key decisions that you make have a ripple effect into the lives of others. There, therefore, it can be a positive and a building up, or it can be a negative and a tearing down. And it can be a tearing down for a season until you humble yourself and repent, and then you can start building it back up by God's grace. But your life isn't an island to itself, and the decisions you make do have negative connotations on others, especially when it comes to losing confidence in the mission or the assignment that God is for me, he is with me, I can accomplish what God's put me on this earth to do. But a bigger issue is this, when you lose confidence in what God has called you to do, you start struggling to hear his voice clearly. You start doubting, am I hearing him, am I not hearing him? Was that him, was that not him? Has he abandoned me? You start doubting that, and that's detrimental now to your own spiritual well-being. The series that we're in is called The Judges. So we're going to be looking at the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament, if you don't know where it is. I mean, go to the, you know, get the table of context, you can, contents, and you can look at you know, where Judges is, find a page, flip to it, and go find yourself in Judges chapter 4. That's where we're going to be looking today. If you've got a, a tablet or an iPhone or you know, an Android device or something like that, and you have the Bible app that we use here, version, then on the events side of the app, you can find New Life Church, and I've put the whole chapter on there for you so that you can scroll through it. If you don't have a Bible here today, then I'm going to have the scriptures on the screen for you. We're going to be looking at quite a bit of scripture today, and so I want to help you uh, with that, because this passage is going to be a critical one for us today. It's going to model for us, look, what happens in God's heart towards humanity and man's heart towards God when we break the confidence of God is with me, he's for me. I can step out in faith. Anything's, anything is possible when I walk with God. Judges chapter four, the Israelites have done what they did last week, if you were here. They have reverted back again. After experiencing God work the miraculous, they've now reverted back to a, a, life, a cycle of sin. They're living afar from God. And a Canaanite king by the name of King Jabin, all right, has now oppressed them for 20 years. King Jabin. Everyone say Jabin. Jabin, okay? Because it's not King Jabin, our youth pastor. Just want to make sure that's clear. We're not talking about him, Okay. But this king, this enemy king, has oppressed the Israelites now for 20 years. And this king has a big army, and he has a commander of his army. The commander, his name is Sisera. Say Sisera. Sisera, Sisera is the commander of Jabin's army. 
Okay, it says in the Bible, in Judges chapter 4, verses like 1 through 3, it talks about this guy and it says this about him. This is the description. He's ruthless. He's a ruthless oppressor. You know what that means? It means he has no pity and he has no compassion for the Israelites. Think about a leader that's oppressing you, that has no compassion for you, and has no pity for you. What's that going to really feel like? It's going to feel really bad. It's going to feel like a, like a really hard grit sandpaper grinding on you all the time because they got no compassion for you. That means this. When they make decisions, they could care less how it impacts you. And for 20 years, the Israelites lived underneath that type of oppression. I'm just going to say this right off the bat. There's no reason why any of us should live under oppression because of our sin in today's age. Today we should repent to God when we sin, pick ourselves back up and keep moving forward. Don't lay around in the filth of your sin. The Israelites did that for 20 years and they paid a serious price for it. Sisera was also a man who had a large army at his disposal. He says there that he has 900 chariots. A chariot in battle at that day would be kind of like equal to, let's say, a tank in battle today. So think about what a tank would do to a group of men in, on the battlefield. One tank, what could it do to a group of men? It could be devastating. And then therefore, what could a chariot do in battle? Sisera had 900 of these. That means he had thousands of people that were working for him, taking care of all the details that it would require for him to make one phone call. I get it, they didn't have phones back there, but just roll with me. To make, to make one phone call and to say, I want the 900 chariots and I want them now and I want them over here. Because that's the type of power and authority this guy had. Okay? Finally, after 20 years of this, the Israelites finally go, you know what, guys? This doesn't feel so good. There's got to be a different way out of this. And they go, you know what? We need to repent to God. And they repent to God out of their distress, and God does something miraculous. He does exactly what he did before. He does exactly what he's going to do for them in the future. He sends them a deliverer. Her name, check this out, ladies. Her name is Deborah. Everyone say Deborah. 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 Now, in a moment, I'm going to take you to the scripture. We're going to read it. But when we read it, I want you to look for three people. I want you to look for Deborah. I want you to look for this warrior, this general, Barak. And I want you to look for this other lady. All right? Her name is Jael. I want you to look at those. To find that as we read through this. So Judges chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 4. And I debated, like, man, this is going to be a lot of reading. Should I just tell you this story or should I read it to you? And this is one of those rare moments for me where I felt like, you know what? You guys just need to hear this because if I try to tell you this story, I got this gut feeling you won't believe me on some of the details in this. And I want you, I want you to believe what, what God's word says. So here's what it says. Chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, here we go. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet. Okay, she was a prophet um, who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Abinam, right, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali. Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Who is the one speaking right now? Deborah speaking on behalf of who? God. 
God's the one who says, I want to give you guys victory. Okay? But verse 8, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at, a, at the hands of a woman. Come on, ladies, let me hear you. The battle's going to be at the hands of a woman. This is going to be a good story. So Deborah, so Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. At Kedesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Okay, skip to verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinam, you know, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Herosheth Hagoya to Kishon River. Turn the page. It's a page turner, people. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all the chariots and warriors into panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way back to, to Herosheth, Hogiam, uh, killing all of the Sisera's warriors. Not a single one of them was alive. Meanwhile, commercial break. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Right? King Jabin, you remember him? He's the oppressor. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Hey, look, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Now, don't be afraid. So he went into the tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again with the blanket. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes and asks you if there's anyone over here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. <laughs> Watch out. Watch out for those ladies. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man that you're looking for. Like, just like, I, I know where he's at. Of course you know where he's at. You got him pinned to the ground, right? So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera laying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the, Ken the Canaanite the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Come on, man. You had to read it. You had to read it, okay? You had to read it. You just had to be there. So we've got these two leaders, Deborah and Barak, and you've got this one follower, Jael. Okay, she's not a leader. She doesn't have any kind of a title. No one's following her. That's how you would distinguish a leader. No one's following her. Right, you have these two, these three people. So let's look at these three people and see what we can learn about remaining confident in our mission and how that impacts others and helps us to hear God's voice. Let's start with Deborah. Right, Deborah was the only woman judge that the Israelites had, the only one. And at that time, you know, women in positions of leadership was not going to be something that you were going to find very common. 
So this was an uphill climb for her and her leadership among her people while they are being oppressed by an enemy. But Deborah does something fascinating. She activates extreme faith and confidence in God, and she steps up every single day, and she acts as the leader. So church, listen to me. You might not feel like you're qualified to lead today. Deborah may have wrestled at times with feeling qualified to lead, but this is what she realized, and this is what you need to know today. Look, God qualifies the called. When he calls you to do something, he qualifies you. He gives you the skills and the abilities to accomplish it. You might feel like you're the wrong person for the wrong assignment at the wrong time. Deborah, a woman trying to lead in a man's world, the wrong person at the wrong season at the wrong time, right? That's how you might feel. But look, it doesn't matter what the time period is. It doesn't matter whether it's today or it was 4,000 years ago or whatever. When God calls you to the mission, God knows where you're at. He knows your name. He knows your skills. He knows your abilities. And you got to trust that God is the one who called you to it. You might feel like others are looking negative at you. Right? But you're not living to please man. You're living to please an audience of one, God. So, in light of that, how do you live confidently in fulfilling the mission that God put you on this earth to do? Here's some things Deborah shows us. That you have to confidently step into God's mission by faith every single day. Where did you find Deborah in the story? Can you reflect back on the story? I know that this is another thing from school called comprehension. Okay? It's one of the reasons why I decided to have you read it. Because I thought if you read it and you heard my voice, it would sink in deeper. Where did you find Deborah in the story? You find her under a tree. What's she doing underneath the tree? She's judging, literally judging. People are coming to her with conflicts and problems, and she's giving them solutions. This is what she's doing every single day. By faith, she's showing up in this oppressed land and she's guiding her people as God gives her wisdom beyond her years. But it's that faithfulness of showing up every single day underneath the tree, doing the small task that God elevates her to do the big task. And I just want you to know today, guys, sometimes you just gotta show up and keep doing the small things if you ever wanna see God do the big things through your life. If you ever wanna see it, you gotta be confident in the small, you got to be confident in this, the details that are ahead of you, in the mission that's ahead of you. So you might not have the full-blown idea of what God's mission is for you on this earth, or what God's biggest assignment is for you on this earth. Deborah, at this moment, had no idea God was going to use her to deliver her people from 20 years of oppression. I guarantee you she didn't know it. But she knew this. She knew I was supposed to sit at this tree and judge. So guys, look. You don't have to know the big picture of everything. You just got to know I got to be faithful in the small, faithful every single day, waking up, loving God, serving God, loving people, leading people, right? That's what we got to be faithful in. And when we do that, God will elevate us at the right time to lead things bigger than what you can lead by yourself. Somebody should say that's good because that is good right there, unless you don't believe that. I would challenge you to believe that. You have to also do this. This is what she showed us. You have to live more dependent on God's wisdom. What was the title that Deborah was given? A very unique title. She was given the title prophet. A prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks that back to the people. That's what Deborah was doing. How do you hear God's voice on a regular basis? How do you hear God's voice on a daily basis? Situationally, from moment to moment, conflict to conflict. How do you hear God's voice and be a prophet the only way you can do that is by getting close to God, getting close to him and hearing his voice. One of the things I love about Deborah is when she calls Barak, Barak gets in front of her 
And she looks at Barak and she says, listen, the Lord said this. The Lord said, go gather 10,000, I'm going to deliver you today. The Lord said it. She was confident about that. And I think for you and me in our lives today, we need more of the Lord said moments in our life. You know what I mean by that? Like the Lord said moments? Moments when you're confident about God's directing you, God's ordaining your steps. I'm not asking you to go find a prophet someplace to tell you what the Lord's saying. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. The same power who lived in Jesus now lives in you. The power of the Holy Spirit. He can speak to you and give you direction like nobody's business. But you and me, we need more of the Lord said moments. We don't need to go to the extreme like the Lord told me to eat this apple. The Lord told me to eat at Culver's. Or did he? We don't need to go extreme and weird like that, okay? But we do need to have more moments where we're going, you know what? God told me I need to pray with you. We need to have more moments like the Lord said this to me out of his scripture today. And it's a guiding light that's going to lead me and guide me through the day. We need more, the Lord said, moments in our lives if we're going to walk in the confidence to complete the mission God's put us on this earth to fulfill. But you also have to brush off the lie of the enemy that you aren't good enough. Deborah was living for 20 years in an oppressed state. She had to rise above that. She had to get beyond the lie. This is just who you've been, this is who you will always be. And for some of you, you're living underneath the lie that this is who you've been, therefore you will always be. But God's got a higher calling for you. He's got a greater vision for you. He's got a grander assignment for you. And he's asking you, will you get past the lie that you're not good enough so I can finally raise you up and I can start doing incredible things through you. And for some of you, you've lost who you were and you've got to go back and regain that again through humility and repentance. But here's the truth about Deborah. Deborah's confidence in her mission led the people to freedom. And I'm telling you, there's something about you and me that when we walk in the confidence of why God put us on this earth, in the assignment or in the mission, grander or smaller, it always affects others. And when we walk confidently in it, it helps others find freedom in Jesus' name. That's who God wants us to be. What about Barack, though? What can we learn about him, about walking in this confidence that God put us on this earth for, this assignment, this mission? Well, you know something about him. He's He's a leader. He's probably a leader of leaders, He's a guy who many will follow. How do we know this? How many people does he get to follow him? 10,000. 10,000, not just in a good day. He gets 10,000 to follow him in a very oppressed day with a ruthless leader who has proven the fact that you step out of line, I'll take you down. And he slaughtered many. Ruthless equals slaughtering, I guarantee you. He slaughtered many for getting out of line. But in the midst of this oppression, Barack is able to say, hey guys, follow me, okay? And I'm gonna, we're going to raise up this army and we're going to see people, you know, we're going to see our people free. So he's obviously a great leader, but he also has the authority kind of as this general, I know what battle is. He's some kind of a warrior as well. However, in the midst of all of those titles, and this is one of the things that screws us up, okay, because we think that title is what gives us the authority to walk in confidence. There's no title on this earth that will give you enough authority to walk in the confidence that God's put you on this earth to do. I don't care what the title is. You go, well, if I was the president of the United States, I would do that. No, if you're the president of the United States, you would collapse. Well, if I could just be the boss. No, if you were the boss, you would fall apart. Like, there's no title that gives you the confidence to walk in the authority, right? Because here's what happens. When Deborah comes to him and says, hey, Barack, the Lord said this, the Lord wants to give us victory, 
Barak goes, I don't know if I have faith in God. 20 years of oppression, I don't think that I have a lot of faith in him. But Deborah, I know you hear from him. So if you come with us, I think we might have a chance to win. He had a credible title and incredible leadership, but he can't trust God. There's no confidence there. He's lost it somewhere. He lost his confidence because he lost his identity in Christ. He forgot who he was. He forgot who his God was. He forgot the authority and the power that his God has. In church, when we forget who we are in Christ, we're, it's no wonder why we're stuck in the past. It's no wonder why we're like, hey, you remember the good years? Instead of, I'm striving for the great years. It's no wonder we get stuck there. Because when we forget who you are in Christ, all of your confidence drains out. Now it's just on your strength. And I'm telling you, when you stand on your own strength, you collapse, and you collapse quickly. So he forgot who he was in Christ. But here's what I love about God. Because God loves his people, even though Barak failed in his faith, God still gave him a victory. Barak didn't get the honor for it. And here's what's even worse. Barak didn't get to hear God's voice. It was supposed to be Barak who was standing on the mountain of Tabor that day. When God spoke to him and said to him, hey, Barak, it's time to march down the mountain. It's time to take out Sisera and the, and the chariots. But instead, Deborah had to be the one that comes over to him and says to him, hey, by the way, Barak, it's time to go. God spoke. You see what I'm saying? When you don't walk in confidence, then you don't get a chance to hear God's voice either. Because why? You don't put yourself into difficult situations. You're not confident enough to walk into them. And when you're not confident to walk into the difficult situations that God has prepared for you to shape you into the man or the woman he has for you, then you don't get a chance to hear his voice. And when you don't hear his voice, it becomes this cycle of death. You don't hear his voice, you don't have confidence in him. You don't hear his voice, you lack confidence in him. And it's just this cyclical cycle. And Barak missed out on all of that. I just want to say to some of you guys today, watch this, right? That some of you, you're walking in the victory of God's grace. Like Barak, he walked in the victory that God brought his people, but you're missing the closeness of hearing his voice. I don't want you just to walk in the victory of God's grace. I don't want you just to get to heaven. I want you to thrive on this earth. And this thrive on this earth means you walk in the grace that God's given you, but you hear his voice on a regular basis. That's what's going to give you the confidence to stand up and say, I am a believer in the face of a culture that is, you know, pushing down Christianity. It's going to be the kind of faith that allows you to pray for people and actually see God work miracles. It's going to be the kind of faith that allows you to find, you know, life in God's word again. It's that kind of a thing. I don't want you just to walk in the grace. I want you to thrive in hearing God's voice as well. So confidence in God, guys, is found in closeness with God. There is no substitute. If you want to have confidence... Confidence in God, it's going to be in getting close to him, seeking his voice, and hearing his voice. And then taking action when he speaks to you. Stepping out, exploring. Like, wow, that was, is that God whispering to me? Step out and do it. Let me just give you one practical way you can practice that. Pray for more people. I was just on Bourbon Street a couple of weeks ago during Mardi Gras. We prayed for thousands and thousands of people. You know what I found on Bourbon Street at, at night at Mardi Gras? is that when we said to people, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? Few people rejected us. Most people took us up on it. On Bourbon Street at Mardi Gras, if most people will say, yeah, I got something to pray about. You can pray with me about this. I guarantee you, people will do it on 39th Street in Kearney. Okay, and these were complete strangers. Pray with more people. Here's the reason why. When you pray with people, you find out what they want you to pray about, you also need to pray like this. God, what is it that you want to say to them? What do you want to say to them? 
and you pray what you sense God's wanting to say to them, and then at the end of the prayer, just do one simple thing. This is going to help you build your confidence in God. Just ask them one question. What stood out to you from this prayer? And when they go, hey, well, you know, when you prayed about my mom, like, I wasn't expecting that. When you prayed about my mom, it was just as if you knew the story, and you're going, what? It's like, it's like God gave me that. Now, you don't have to tell them that. That may freak them out. But it lets you walk away and go, wow, I was hearing God. See what I'm saying? Pray for people, and then at the end, when you're holding a prayer between you and the Holy Spirit and you and them, and then you simply say, what stood out to you? You're going to start walking in greater confidence because you're going to start going, wow, I'm hearing the whisper of God more. And I think that that's pretty cool. What about JL, though? What can we learn from this incredible lady? Well, there's a few things we can learn. One, that she wasn't a leader, she was a follower, and that means that every good organization your workplace, this church, needs great leaders, it needs amazing followers. JL, she was an amazing follower. Here's what I love about JL. She never second-guessed her mission. She had complete confidence from the moment, the moment she saw Cecira come into her vision. It's like she knew, I know what I'm going to do. If he'll come into my tent, and I'll put a nice little warm blanket on him, and he's exhausted, and then he asks for water, and I'm like, no, sir, I'm going to give you something much better than that. Warm milk out of, a, out of this leather thing here. Warm milk, not water. It's going to soothe you. And I'm going to put the blanket back on you and you're going to fall asleep. And while all that's going on, she's scanning the tent and she goes, and that steak over there, I'm going to drive it right through your head. <laughs> Want some more milk? She knew from the get-go what she was going to do. She knew from the minute. You know what I love about her? I love this. She didn't get him to go to sleep and then frantically run out of the tent and go, what do I do? What do I do? Cecira, the commander of the oppressor's army, is here. He's asleep in my tent. What do I do? What do I do? Where's Barack? She could care less. She tiptoes over, gets the steak, comes over, crack. And then, nonchalantly, Barack shows up, Hey, you've seen Cecira? Yeah, I've seen him. <laughs> yeah, where, where, where'd you see him? He's in my tent. What? He's in your tent? He's in your tent right now? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come with me. I'll, sh- I'll show you. I'll show you where he's at. Walk on in nonchalantly. You see Barack like, what? Like that. Like, what in the world? She's like, yeah, there he is. You know what I love about her? She's a woman that she knew the mission, the assignment, right when it was before her, and she never second-guessed it, and she followed through with incredible confidence, and she did something great that day. And she's the one who got the honor for winning the battle, not the one who faltered in their faith. So guys, today, someone in this room needs to finish what they started. Someone in this room has started something with God, you got to finish it. You need to finish walking out complete surrender with God. You need to finish restoring a relationship that's been broken. You need to finish, you know, getting off the bench and getting into the game of ministry. Some of you need to finish and you need to step up and follow the call of God on your life. Some of you need to finish and you need to fully heal the marriage that you're in right now. Some of you need to finish and restore the relationship with your siblings or with your son or with your daughter. Some of you need, to, you need to finish what you started today. You started a prayer a decade ago, but you, are, you're, you haven't finished it. You've lacked the confidence. 
I don't know what it is, but some of you need to finish what you started today. JL, she, if she was here today, she would be like, look, from the minute that you know God's in it, finish it. Guys, that's the best advice I can give you today. Walk in the confidence that when God's in it, you can finish it. So once the battle was over, once the battle completely came to an end, everybody's done, you know, Sisera is buried in the ground, Deborah and Barak are sitting around talking about the whole situation. They go, you know what we should do? Let's write a song about this whole craziness. And they actually wrote a song about it. We're not going to sing it today. But verse 2 of chapter 5, this is how their song starts. It says, Israel's leaders, they took charge. And the people gladly followed. What's these last words? Praise, Praise the Lord. Leaders confident in their mission, caused the people to be glad in their following, and it caused everyone else to praise the Lord. I'm telling you, when you walk in confidence in the mission that God has you on this earth to do, it's going to cause people to be glad around you, and it's going to cause other people to praise the Lord. What does that mean? That means people are going to find Jesus because you're walking in confidence in the mission God called you to, and people's lives are going to be changed. That's what I want to see for you. There's only one mission that God's given you that's unique to you, and it's, and it's different for everybody else. God gave you a unique mission and he asked you to trust him. He asked you to walk in confidence and he asked you to watch him perform the miracles. So today, if you're somebody that's going, look, I want to walk in the confidence that God called me to for the mission that he's given me. I don't even know what the big mission is. I don't even know what the big assignment is. I just want to be faithful in the little things and let God take care of the big things. If you want to walk more confident in the mission God's put you on this earth for, I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Come on, let's do it today. So Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I trust that, Lord, you have been speaking to people today in a way that I couldn't. You've been meeting them one-on-one, heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit. You've been saying to them, God, I just almost cannot hear your voice saying to them, it's time to finish what you started. It's time to walk in the confidence of the calling. It's time to walk again in the confidence of the assignment that he gave you. Lord, I hear you saying that there's people's lives hanging in the balance, waiting for us to walk in confidence. Not a self-confidence, but it's a confidence in what only you can do. It's a confidence that Deborah had, that, Lord, you spoke, today is the day of deliverance. It's a confidence that Jael had, that, Lord, you've delivered the enemy into my hands. I will follow through. It's a confidence that, unfortunately, Barak had to learn through the school of hard knocks. That, Lord, when you speak, I need to listen. No matter where we are, God, we're coming back. We're coming back to your heart, and we're coming back to this. Holy Spirit, fill us today to overflowing. That we might walk in the authority and the power of the Spirit of God to accomplish, Lord, what only you have given us to do, what you put us on this earth for, what you give us life for, what you give us breath for. Our life will impact others. And Lord, may, may the lives of new lifers impact other people in Nebraska and around the world in a way that causes people to praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.